Radio. From Pentecostal pastor to Catholic catechist. A testimony by Drake and Crystal McAllister. Given at the Shrine of Our Lady of Mercy in Penrose Park, Australia. We are the McAllisters. And uh, I'm Drake McAllister, my wife Crystal. And this is my second daughter, Madison. And uh, we come to you from the United States, the state of Ohio specifically, if you know where that is. And uh, we have uh, four other daughters. And why don't you introduce them for the Okay. Um, our oldest daughter is 17. Uh, she is back home uh, here as well. And then Madison's here. We have a 13 year old. We have a six-year-old, and then we have a two-year-old. So, okay, so, okay. so as they say, blessed am I among women. <laughs> Lots of them. And uh, so we uh, are privileged to be here serving with the sisters uh, in the mission school and uh, honored to come and share our story and journey of faith uh, with you all this evening. So you can sit down guys. <laughs> So I have the uh, privilege of working at Franciscan University of Steubenville back in Ohio, and, uh, and it provides me an opportunity to regularly invest in young men and women who are preparing to enter and serve the church in all forms of ministry, be it uh, Catholic schools, youth ministers, campus ministers, and uh, uh, so that's what uh, absorbs my, my day job. My, my wife uh, is privileged to uh, do a little homeschooling, do a little two-year-old management. And some of our other kids go part-time school, some of them go full-time school, and we do a little bit of everything. And uh, tonight, we would like to tell you the journey that ended up uh, leading us to Student Bill and, uh, and it's how we became Catholic, a, a most unexpected journey. So, uh, I did not grow up Catholic, and I grew up in a strong Protestant Christian family, and uh, my mom and dad uh, did a very good job trying to hand on the faith to myself and my two sisters, and they, they gave us a very real and living faith. Uh, it wasn't something that was just on Sunday, it was something that was every day. And they really worked hard at uh, leading us to live our faith outside of the home. We would serve in uh, the homeless shelter. We would serve uh, in the, the older, uh, elderly old folks' home. And, and we would serve a church. And, and so they, they worked hard to instill the faith in myself and my sisters in uh, a real and living way. And I, and I grew up in the, the Foursquare Church. Do you have any of that out here in Australia? Is there anybody that's ever even heard of Foursquare? Wow, that's a really high percentage. But are there any Foursquare here in this country? Yes, I, some Mike will say yes. I need to ring him up and say hello. Uh, so I, I grew up Foursquare, which was a Pentecostal denomination. Uh, Pentecostal in theology, if that means anything to you, I'll talk a little bit more about that. And, uh, but that's my background. That's what I grew up in and uh, where the story begins. I'll let Crystal share uh, about her 
He wants to transform you by the Holy Spirit and empower you to serve Him. And He's coming back soon, so you better get on the stick and get with it. So that's uh, that's uh, the, the essence of the, the four square gospel. So my wife said she felt called to ministry. I felt called to ministry. Uh, after college, we entered uh, into full-time pastoral ministry. So I became a pastor in the Foursquare Church, and that eventually took us to the state of Washington, a little north of Seattle, Seattle, Washington, the home of Starbucks Coffee. And uh, so in that city of Stanwood, Washington, the Lord began to really refine us. And it was a time of great blessing and great challenge. Now, here was the challenge. We got there, and a few months later, after we arrived, and we were associate pastors, and there was uh, the main pastor, and we were associates. There was a group in the church that didn't like the main pastor. And instead of just splitting off like most good Protestants would do, <laughs> they decided to hunker down, batten down the hatches, and see if they could run out the pastoral staff. So what they decided to do was to start stockpiling their tithe and stop giving to the church. And they started to stockpile because they knew eventually they're going to run us out. And then the church is going to really be hurting financially because they're keeping all the money. And they're going to keep it in the bank. And then when we leave and they get new pastors, then they'll give all the money to the church so that it will prosper. Ah. Don't you love being in the church? Uh, so, it was during this season that the Lord really put a challenge to us. He said, and, and forced us to ask this question, did I call you for a paycheck? Or were you called to serve here? And the answer was, we were called to serve. We were not called for a paycheck. The money is not why we came, but the money is a necessity so we can live and do what we need to do. So, during that season, the Lord gave us the grace to, uh, to outlast this group, along with the rest of the pastoral staff. We ended up combining houses, and we had four families and four houses. We got rid of the two houses, we combined four families into two houses and started just living together. And we had our first child in this house, which really our bedroom was the downstairs living room with a curtain hanging in it. Uh, and that was our house, and upstairs was the other family with a couple of kids, all in the same house. And uh, thanks be to God, we were able to uh, persevere. And this group ended up leaving, and there was a great time of blessing. And this was years, about three years, that we were uh, financially starved and spiritually uh, in battle. And at the end of this time, I finally, it was a time of peace, a season of peace. And I thought, finally, we can now have some very fruitful ministry. And I started to pray. Not starting to pray, I was praying regularly. Which is the first thing I might mention tonight. If you don't want God to mess with your life, just don't pray. It's really easy. If you want Him to ignore you, don't pray. Because the moment you start praying, He'll start messing with your life. And start inviting you to do challenging things. So I was praying, and I felt the Lord knock on my heart and say, Drake, I want you to leave this little town and go down to the city of Seattle and start a new Foursquare congregation in one area of the city, near the university. And I told the Lord, no! I just bought a house. I have an acre. I've got 30-foot trees. 
We just came through a really difficult season of ministry. I like it here. So, I was praying again. Some weeks later, I was like, Drake, go to Seattle. No. <laughs> I have an acre, a house, and 30 foot trees. I like it here. He doesn't share any of this with me, but. Well, of course not, because we're not going to Seattle. Why share it if it's not going to happen? Well, praying again, third time. Drake, go to Seattle. So I say, all right, Lord, all right. But this is too big of a move for me to do by myself. If you really want us to go, you need to tell my wife. <laughs> so I am instructed to pray. Drake says, Crystal, I feel like the Lord was talking to me, but I just want you to pray to the Lord and see what he says to you. That's all I got. You know? And I didn't tell her what. The Lord was telling me. No, no, no. It had nothing to do with location or moving or housing or anything. I mean, it could have been a random He just said, I feel like the Lord is talking to me and I'd like you to go pray. So he sent me out to pray. And I did. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Your family is to pack up from here and move to Seattle. And I was floored. And I said, Yeah. There's no way I can tell my husband to quit his job and move to Seattle so we can start a church. We just went through this. We're finally stable. Now you're asking us to go again and start again with no money? And I, I said, God, I, I don't think I can tell Drake this. <laughs> so that's another key, man. Make your wife hear all the big things from the Lord. Just tell her to pray. And that's so I did share with Drake with the Lord, only because I had no choice when the Lord speaks to you, you need to act. And so I did share with Drake with her interpretation that I really felt like God was telling us to move. And he was, I don't know, was relieved or sad or No, my first thought was, dang. <laughs> the Lord sent me up. It is confirmed that the Lord wanted us to pack up our bags, move our family. So we picked up, we moved to Seattle. As Crystal said, we had two children, one on the way. Our third child was born uh, just shortly uh, in the middle of this uh, move. And we arrived in Seattle with, uh, we were starting with a small team of people, about eight of us, uh, to establish this new congregation. And we, we went, and we had three months of money to live on and a place to stay. That's pretty good. God can do a lot with us. And, but God had said go, and we knew he would be faithful, because God never calls you somewhere just to take you there and watch you die. Uh, it may be challenging, it may be a struggle, but he calls us places to do something in us and through us. So, it was uh, now being in the city of Seattle, we're a larger city, I start scanning the uh, radio dial one day, thinking, I'm in the big city now, I wonder what talk radio I can find. So I start scanning the dial, and I come across a station that sounds kind of religious. I start listening, going, oh, okay, this sounds interesting, and then all of a sudden I realize, wait a minute, this is Catholic. Who's ever heard of Catholic radio? Apparently maybe you have, but I never heard of Catholic radio. I didn't know any Catholics. I figured nobody's listening to this thing because it's Catholic radio. There aren't, there's not even any Catholics around here. And uh, 
So, but I started listening to this, and it was really interesting. And they were they were talking about what the Catholic Church believes, and the Eucharist, and the Pope, and transubstantiation. And I was thinking, do they really still believe in this? I thought, I thought they got rid of that stuff a long time ago. And uh, uh, and it was it was really amazing. And, and and the guys on this radio program were unapologetically Catholic. They would say things like, "Listen." You might believe in X, Y, and Z, but if you don't believe in A, B, and C, guess what? You're not Catholic. To be Catholic means to hold the fullness of the faith. So I listened for this full hour, and I disagreed with all the theology, all the doctrine, because clearly it was wrong because it was Catholic, right? <laughs> um, that was my presupposition. But here's what captured me. I listened for that hour, and I heard two guys, two men, that were Christ-centered, evangelistic, knew their Bible, very charitable, and Catholic. I, had, I was very familiar with the first four attributes. I've never seen all those together with Catholic. So that was intriguing to me to see Christ-centered, evangelistic, biblically-rooted people who were Catholic. And, uh, and I tell you this, in all honesty, I tuned back in the next day for one reason only. Not because it was any of it was true, it was clearly it was wrong because it was Catholic, right? I tuned back in for one reason only, to see, are there more of these engaged Catholics out there, or were these the only two Catholics on the planet? <laughs> because by the time I got done at the end of that show, I thought, these people sound like me, except they're Catholic. This sounds like if we went to Starbucks and had coffee, we would have some things in common. And we could talk about the faith. And that surprised me. So I didn't tune back in for doctrine. I didn't tune back in for the truth. I didn't tune back in for any of the reasons that you would maybe hope I would tune in for. I simply tuned back in because the people were engaging. And I could tell that they knew Jesus. That began a long process of me discovering the Catholic Church. Now, it feels like I discovered the Catholic Church. Once you realize what the church is, it's kind of hard to say you discovered this thing that's all over the world. That's like saying, I discovered air. <laughs> so I was, as a pastor, I was really big and focused on teaching in context. It really bugged me when I would hear a sermon from somebody that would take one verse and just talk for an hour that has no bearing on the verse, you know, so maybe the woman at the well, you know, she comes out of the house to meet Jesus. And so, you know, the whole sermon is... She had to come out of the house to meet Jesus. If you don't come out of the house, you're never going to meet Jesus. You're on the couch. You're not going to meet Jesus on the couch. You've got to get out of the house. Did you? No, so it's inspiring. It's entertaining. But what, is it, what does that really have to do with the woman at the well? Well, nothing. Um, so I was really, teaching in context was really important to me. I want to understand the scriptures in, in their context. And so, learning about anything, I applied these same principles. When Mormons would come knocking on my door, I'd say, come on in, sit down. I, you have Mormons here? Yep. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. They're friendly people. They're wonderful. They'll talk as long as you let them. And uh, so I would invite them back week, uh, week, week after week until they just got tired of talking to me. But I wanted to hear from them. What do you say you believe? Here's what I've said. Tell me where I'm wrong. Because if we're going to have a dialogue, I want to be able to articulate to you what you believe in such a clear way that you say, yes, amen, that's it. Now we can have a dialogue on our differences. So I enjoyed beginning to learn about the Catholic Church from the Catholics. And uh, some things they confirmed of what I knew. Many things they uh, dispelled uh, errors that I had. Uh, beginning to learn what the Catholic Church truly teaches about Mary and saints and scripture and many things. So I enjoyed learning about the Catholics. But the more I listened to this radio station, they kept they kept mentioning these secret Vatican documents. And uh, I was wondering, what are these secret Vatican documents? Because they would make their case from Scripture, and then they would talk about these secret Vatican documents that supported their belief from Scripture. And I thought, I, I probably could never get into the Vatican and find these documents. But, but I, I, I figured, I've got to figure this out. And uh, the Scripture I was familiar with but these things that they were talking about were, these people in particular were the early church fathers. So they weren't in fact secret Vatican documents. Clearly you can see how myopic my little world was. Number one, I didn't think there was many Catholics in my area. Number two, I didn't even know there was an early church. Um, because, and I say that in all sincerity, I mean there was the Bible, since we're Pentecostal, Acts 2, and then 2,000 years later, there's the Pentecostal church. Everything else in between is totally irrelevant. Uh, because who cares what happened yesterday or 100 or 500 or 1,000 years ago? People need Jesus now, so let's just focus now. And uh, so they would talk about these early church fathers, and they would make the case from Scripture and then show this, this teaching of the Catholic church evidence in the first and second and third century in the writings of these early church fathers. So scripture I knew, the fathers I didn't. Uh, and they claimed that these teachings came from the apostles to these church fathers. And that some of these fathers actually knew the apostles. That blew my mind. But wait a minute, you're telling me there's people that knew the apostles and wrote stuff down, and we can still read it today, that intrigued me. So as I listened to the radio more and more, they uh, threw out a challenge on this radio station. And I invite you to take up this challenge if you're in a similar place as I was. They said, listen, don't take our word for it. Take up the search yourself and see if, in fact, the claims of the Catholic Church are true. So I thought, all right, you're on. I'll take up that challenge. Because I knew it was going to be a piece of cake to win the challenge. Here's why. The Catholic Church makes an impossible claim. Impossible. A crazy claim. It's nuts. And if you haven't thought about this recently, you should reflect on it and realize how nuts this is. The Catholic Church claims that it cannot be in error. 
its official teachings on faith and morals. So not that every Catholic will be without error. Just look around the room, right? Okay. Uh, not that every pope would be perfect. Not that every priest would be perfect. Not that every uh, you know spiritual writer is perfect. But that the, the definitive teachings of the church will be preserved from error. Nobody makes this claim. That's crazy. And he, now, one of the things I like to help Catholics realize is how crazy some of the things are we believe in in in, in the world's eyes or those that are outside the church. Because especially when you're in Protestantism, nobody claims to have it all. Everybody lives with that tension of, oh, well, we know we don't have it all true. Neither do you, neither do you, neither do you. We're just all limping along hoping to get to heaven. And we live with this tension. And so the fact that the church would claim that it's impossible, impossible to be without error, that, I thought, was impossible. Because here's what I concluded. All you have to do is find one, one thing that the church has definitively defined to be true and show that that has been reversed, then you can dismiss the, the, the entirety of the Catholic Church because it becomes self-refuting, right? Its claims do not hold up. So, the adventure began. And uh, so I suddenly found out there was a fantastic website that contained all of the church fathers. And it's a Protestant site to boot. So I figured it was safe, right? Uh, I figured it wasn't a tainted Catholic site that was only giving me what, I was, what they wanted me to hear. Uh, and it was called Christian Classics Ethereal Library. You can still there, ccel.org. And it was one-stop Christian writer shopping. All the church fathers from zero through 700, it had all Protestant reformers, so I could read Luther and Calvin and Zwingli up into you know, the 1800s or so, and it had everybody. I could just research my heart. You can download stuff for free, the files there, you want Augustine, the whole time, hit click, he's all yours. Um, so it was uh, an amazing find. And I began to dig in and invest. And these church fathers so intrigued me, I said, all right, I'm going to read these guys in context, right? And uh, so I just made a checklist. From the beginning, Didache, Ignatius, Clement, Justin, Hermes, Polycarp. And I just started reading them. Because I wanted to read them in entirety. Now, I didn't read all the church fathers. I'm, I'm not that good of a reader. Because they, they, the books go forever. And... Uh, but I, I read them in context because I was convinced that when I read in context, it would not bear out what the Catholics claimed it would bear. So they would have some quote, and I figured once I read everything around the quote, that would clear it up. So uh, this leads up to the summer of 2003, where I go to speak at a high school summer camp. Now, at this summer camp, uh, there's a man who ran the camp that I'd never met before, and uh, he's a wonderful holy man. Earlier in the week, he said, Drake, I think the Lord has given me something to share with you. He said, fantastic. If you got it, I want it. Later in the week, we went to his office, we prayed a bit. When he was done praying, he looked at me and said, I just see this picture in my mind. You and your family standing on a seashore. And out on the ocean is a huge 
ocean life. Something that's sweet, get in a cruise. <laughs> this is my kind of word for God. And then he says, and on the side of the ship it says, the Queen Mary. Now, I'm not Catholicized enough yet to think of the Blessed Mother. I'm thinking of just a big boat that's down in California called the Queen Mary. So I'm listening, listening. So he gets done, looks straight at me and says, I don't know. Maybe you're supposed to have something to do with the Catholic Church. Says, come, come again? Uh, so I get this Marian vision from this Protestant guy running his camp. <laughs> How strange is that? <laughs> so we say a few more things. So I go home with renewed zeal. God's been having me learn about the Catholic Church, and I'm going to ramp up my studies and learn a lot more about the Catholic Church because he's going to use me to bring Catholics to the fullness of the four square faith. <laughs> Because that's how Pentecostals viewed themselves within Protestants. We were kind of the Catholics of the Protestants. We would say you, that there's the term full gospel that Pentecostals would use of themselves, meaning they've got the whole gospel. Presbyterians, you know, a lot of gospel Baptists, you know, pretty good gospel, but the Pentecostals were full of gospel. So I was ready and, uh, to, to bring as many Catholics home to the Foursquare Church as I could. So, um, that, that just sent me into a really intense study that next year that I began to look at uh, doctrine after doctrine after doctrine in the Catholic Church. Look at it biblically and look at it historically. And uh, what I want to do, instead of going through that entire search of doctrine, I want to just give five just key points, key thought processes along the way that helped me uh, come to the place that I am now. So the more I began to research and read and study, this nagging question comes up. Hmm. Here's what I say is true. Here's what they say is true. Well, how do we know anything's true? How do we know anything's true? Now, being in Seattle, the city that I was in, like many cities, it was very relativistic. And I had been increasing my reading on relativism so that I could engage uh, individuals in conversation. And here's one thing I knew about myself. I was not a relativist. I believed in truth and that Jesus came to reveal truth. And if it's true, it's objective. What does Jesus say? John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Before Pilate, talks about the truth, and Pilate says, ah, what is truth? Who can find it? But I knew that if Jesus came to reveal the truth, that it must be objective. It must be findable. And that the perspective of Scripture is that the truth is not something we have to hope for or wonder if we can get, but it's something that can be confidently known. We don't have to wonder if we have the truth. And within many of Protestant groups, what I began to realize is that they had settled with lowest common denominator Christianity. Because everything we had 
that were differences, we considered, well, that's a peripheral issue. It's something that is non-essential. Some things are non-essential. Guitar or organ, well, whatever. Um, but other things aren't essential, like salvation. That shouldn't be in the peripheral issue bucket, how we are saved. And the more I began to study and then ask all my pastor friends questions like, does sin matter? And some guys would say, no. Jesus paid for it all on the cross. Just keep on going. Okay? Then some would say, yes, sin matters, but you have to ask for forgiveness and just keep on going. Just say, Jesus, sorry, get up the next day and just keep going. Others would say, no, you really need to repent and ask for forgiveness, but Jesus still paid for it. Others would say, yes, that sin is serious, and if you don't ask for forgiveness, you could lose your salvation in the whole spectrum. You start thinking, this doesn't sound like very objective truth. So that was my first conviction, that I knew I was not a relativist. And that took me to reflection number two. During this time, as I began to reflect on my past, different spiritual groups, and as I began to evaluate the Catholic Church, because you might have known a couple of bad Catholics in your day. Maybe you're, maybe you're one of those Catholics that I always heard about, you know, that was the best part of your own block or something. Uh, and often those are the only ones that ever get talked about, right? And those are the only ones that I ever knew. But here's what I began to reflect on as I began to search for truth. I realized a subjective experience does not make something true. And it does not make something untrue. So if you are a child that grows up in a Christian home and you have abusive parents and they beat you, does that render the Christian faith untrue? No, you have bad parents. If you grew up in an atheist household that had loving parents that gave you a good life, does that make atheism true? Well, no. That's just the experience in that setting. Subject, subjectivity can't make something true or untrue. It, it is either true objectively or it is not true. And subjective experience can change based on one setting. And because I knew that there were some really wonderful Mormon families. Great mom and dad, lots of kids. They served, they did lots of things. But I had serious doctrinal issues with Mormon families. But just because somebody had a positive experience didn't mean it was true. So as I began to reflect, I began to, to put all the things that many Protestants consider are the bad Catholic things and realize, okay, well, Catholicism either has to be true or untrue. It can't just be that these people say, I didn't like it. Well, I don't like broccoli. That, that still doesn't mean it's not good for me. And thankfully, the Catholic Church isn't like eating broccoli. It's much better than that. Uh, it's either true or untrue. Subjective experiences do not make it true. And there's many people that say the Catholic Church is flawed or should not be followed simply because of negative subjective experiences. But listen, back in my little four square church with people trying to starve us out and run us out of town, 
I had tasted enough sin to go around, and I realized the Catholic Church doesn't have the corner on the sinful market. That there's sinners everywhere. Everywhere. And I'd be the first to raise my hand and say I would like to contribute to those sinners everywhere. Um, by the grace of God, they're blind. So I was convinced that there's objective truth. I was convinced that subjective experiences cannot make something true or untrue. Here's my third nagging question. Authority. Who has the authority to identify what is true? Who has that authority? So, Scripture, clearly inspired. We all agreed on that, Protestants and Catholics alike. But when we open the Bible, we, we're coming with different answers, different conclusions with the Scripture. And so here's what, I, and I had never really asked these questions before. And so I began to think about this and, and try and be consistent in my thought and realize that a written text needs an interpreter because it cannot interpret itself. It's present, you can read the words, but it needs someone to read it, to make it come to life, and needs an interpreter. Because there's a lot of things in Scripture that seem both and. You can read Scriptures that talk about salvation, faith. You can read Scriptures that say salvation, works. You can read Scriptures that say salvation, grace. You can read Scriptures that say salvation is you are saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. Well, which is it? And there's denominations that have you know, stake their claim on one of those of three versions. And the examples proliferate, which we don't need to go into all the examples. But the question was, who has the authority? Who has the authority? And especially when you have two Jesus-loving people that come together and have differing opinions on major issues like salvation, Either they're both true, which can't be true, or either one is true, which is unsettling, or one of them has to be wrong, or uh, what do you do? What do you do? Now, I think Jesus actually gives us an answer to this question, which is really quite fascinating. There's all kinds of scriptures as I begin to study the Catholic faith that I never knew were there. Or I kind of did, but never really understood them. So here's what Jesus says that you do. Here's what you do when you have differences with one another. Matthew 18. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. So let's pause right there. What does that mean to sin against you? Okay. If I am a painter, and I make really bad paintings, all right, I'm just a bad painter. That's not a sin against you. If I'm a pew maker, and I make really uncomfortable pews, that's it's not a sin. I'm just a bad pew maker. Uh, or if I'm a wonderful artist, that that's, uh, doesn't make me virtuous. Um, sin, in particular, are things that are contrary to faith and contrary to morals. So I can sin against my wife. By committing adultery. That's a sin of morals. I can sin against faith by denying love or denying essential truths. 
So if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two others along with you, that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, I was grew up with the idea that the church is just an individual collection of people. Anybody who has faith in Christ is the church. And we would have people in our denomination that figured, listen, five guys in a coffee shop could be the church, and that's all that Jesus Christ intended. And that would be your congregation. You just go, you're the Starbucks Coffee Church. Uh, and, and there's any, all kinds of versions. But Jesus here says, tell your brother his fault, then take two or three. You've already taken the two or three together. And then he says, if he doesn't listen to you, if he doesn't listen to the other believers, what do you do? If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Tell it to the church. And then he says, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, almost as if, huh, who would ever do that? That's crazy talk. Um, then he turned him out as a Gentile tax collector. Namely, that's the target market for evangelism, so we need to reach out to them and love them and draw them back to the faith. And when I read that, as I began to understand the Catholic Church and realizing Jesus already excludes me going to just a couple other people and that being the source of locus of authority, that the church was the locus of authority, and that meant the church had to be something findable. I could go down the street, knock on the door, take my sitting brother and say, tell him what's, what's going on. Um, your priest would love it if you would do that, so maybe uh, start doing that on a regular basis. In 1 Timothy 3.15, what does it say? The church is the, Paul tells us, is the pillar and the bulwark of truth. So I already knew I wasn't a relativist. I believed in truth, and it was objective. I knew that subjective experiences don't make things true. And I was beginning to understand there has to be an authority to identify this truth, and it can't just be me, because Jesus excludes me in Matthew and in many other places. So this took me to my, my, my fourth point. The witness of the early church fathers. And this is the one that I readily admit to my, my Protestant friends and say, listen, if you want to consider that I had an Achilles heel and consider it was the church fathers, I claim guilty. Because for me, this sealed the deal. Because I could make a biblical case for what I believed, and the Catholics could make a biblical case for what they believed. And then they would make, and or they would show their biblical case, evidence in history. That was something I could not do. I grew up in a denomination that taught baptism is strictly symbolic. It does nothing. It's just a testimony. I love Jesus. Well, and, you, and you're baptized. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and symbolic baptism. But we believed it was strictly symbolic. During this time, I discovered where my belief came from. It came from Ulrich Zwingli in about 1531 uh, or so. He's one of the Protestant reformers. And here's what he says. And I unearthed his document, and I read it, and I was shocked. He says in this document on baptism explicitly, 
I will now set forth before you the true teaching on baptism. All the fathers and doctors who have ever written before me, 1500s, have been wrong. Baptism is symbolic. I thought, dang, that's the source? Some guy just pulls a rabbit out of his hat? That was an unsettling day. So the witness of the early church fathers began to just weigh on me because they talked about the church, they talked about bishops and priests and the Eucharist. Ignatius in 107 talks about that it's the heretics that deny that in the Eucharist it's the body and blood of Jesus. 100? You've got to be kidding me. What I thought, like, you know, 1215, the fourth letter in council, where they define transubstantiation, which is usually the accusation. The Catholics invented transubstantiation in 1215 AD. Um, no, it's 107. Well, no, actually, it's Jesus' Last Supper. Um, and time and time again, the, uh, the early church is witnessing to the church, the authority of the church, the bishops, the teaching authority, the universal nature of the church, that it's faith, you got to have faith, and that it's also how you live, you've got to have works. And there's sacraments, there's baptism, there's Eucharist, and it's all there. And as I begin to study and realize my Pentecostal roots, to realize that my denomination already rejected a lot of the Reformation. Pentecostals don't believe Reformed doctrine. So things like once saved, always saved. We don't believe that. We didn't believe that. And we actually made one step back to the Catholic Church on some fundamental core doctrines. And so I began to think, wait a minute, if my denomination rejected the Protestant Reformers, on certain things, and they rejected the Catholic Church, well, where does this stop? How do I know that my denomination is right over the Reformers, and what makes them right over the Catholics? And it keeps sending you back in history. As Cardinal Newman once said, to be deep in history is to cease to be Protestant. Cease to be Protestant. And after looking at the first, second, and third century, I strictly limited my time to before Constantine, because everybody blamed Constantine for everything, so he's about 300-ish. And um, so I looked before them. And here's what was my conclusion. Because the Catholic, the, the elements of the Catholic Church are so starkly clear, starting from 1980, 80, 90, 180 on, that here's my conclusion. Either the apostles completely failed in total, to hand on the fullness of the faith to one living soul who happened to write anything down. Either they totally failed, or what the apostles, what I see in the other church is what the apostles handed on. Because you see it in scripture, you see it in there in the church, and that's where I also realized that wasn't a conspiracy theorist. Uh, and I'd love to talk more on that, but on the conspiracy theory of what they call the great apostasy and how absolutely illogical it is to believe that somehow the Catholic Church just took over in 100 AD and systematically wiped out all of valid Christianity and supplanted it with a hierarchical sacramental system universally throughout the entire Northern region all overnight without one record of it ever happening. That's a lot to swallow. So, 
I believe in objective truth. I knew subjective experiences don't make things true. I knew that there has to be authority to determine what's true, and my dad was starting to crack as I really reflected on the early church. And uh, at the end of the day, my love for Christ is what began to weigh on me most. And I tell people that my desire was not to become Catholic. That was never my desire, and to this day I stand before I say my desire is not to be Catholic. My desire is to follow Jesus Christ to the fullest extent possible. And that has led me to the Catholic Church. Because once you understand who Jesus is and who his church is, you, they're the same. You can't have one without the other. To have Christ is to have his church. So, this took me to a really unsettling day where I, uh, I came back to make my wife go pray again. <laughs> and uh, I said, uh, sweetie, uh, I've been doing some reading, I've been doing some study, and um, I've been trying to prove that the Catholic Church isn't true. And if I can't, we might have to become Catholic. And uh, then I'll let her pick up from here. Because Drake was on this journey, and it was a multi-year journey, um, he did have the Catholic radio playing in the home all the time. And so I heard Catholic radio for a couple of years. I had no idea that his journey was going to lead us where it was. Um, I just assumed, and I didn't know he was even trying to convert Catholics to be a pastor. Um, what? <laughs> Him being the pastor of our church, um, that he was doing the study of the Catholic Church. I did know that he liked to understand groups from their perspective. So all of his research in the early church fathers and learning about the Catholic Church in my mind was strictly to understand the Catholics. So for bettering his knowledge as being our pastor, um, we also had many, many, many late night theological discussions. There was many a night laying in bed, us going back and forth on um, what we believed. And he would ask me, what do you believe about this? And he would put forth some theological issue. And I would give my thoughts. And he would look at me and he would say, do you know that's Catholic? And I would say, no. And, and he said, that's not Foursquare. Your beliefs are not Foursquare. And I didn't understand that because we had been ordained in the Foursquare Church, and I had plenty of Foursquare knowledge. But as we continued to have late-night discussions, I realized that because I had been um, raised in the Anglican Church, and I had been confirmed in the Anglican Church, my belief system was very sacramental. And that all had been pushed back in my mind. And so I viewed a lot of our Pentecostal theology through the sacramental mindset that I had. And so I wasn't ever trying to be untrue to my denomination. Um, I just, I believed in a particular way. Um, and Greg and I realized that it wasn't the <laughs> So, um, and he had also given me along this journey um, books to read and um, CDs to listen to. 
because he had been doing a lot of research. He had been in contact with the Journey Home, if you're familiar with that. Um, and since they specifically, their ministry is to pastors and younger pastors, um, they had provided us with lots of resources. So it had been in the home, though I had no inkling that we were headed towards the Catholic Church at all. So he comes to me and he says, Oh, you didn't say we, you said I. If this continues, I might have to become Catholic. And I looked at him and I gave the best Protestant answer you could give, and I said, Can't we just believe it and be something else? <laughs> There's lots of options to become when you're Protestant. None of them are Catholic. So that's, that's not one of the options. But that's not one of the options. So I figured that um, if our denomination didn't believe in these particular theologies, we could take these beliefs and find some Protestant denomination that did, and we could become that. Because anyone would accept us to become anything else. Our church would be okay with the fact that we were going to leave and become some other Protestants. But no one would be okay with us becoming Catholic. And so we really didn't want that option. That was not the option that we were looking for. But um, as Drake came to me, I understood a couple of things. I understood that if he came into the Catholic Church, um, our children were young at the time, that they would go with him. I knew that from the beginning. I knew that they would be raised Catholic that they would be baptized in the Catholic Church because our church did adult baptisms, so our children had not been baptized yet. And I knew that they would be raised in the Catholic faith. And I also knew then that I would be separated in faith from my husband and my children. And I didn't want that. And I'm not saying that I became Catholic because I didn't want to be separated from my husband, but it made me take a serious look at what was going to happen. I knew from the beginning that the Lord had called me into ministry to support my husband, and I needed to figure out what that meant. So, this conversation that we're having when he tells me that we're going to become Catholic, or that we might have to become Catholic, happened at the beginning of Holy Week. And so, I don't think the Lord ever has any, you know, coincidences there. Um, so, it was Holy Week, and I fasted and prayed from Holy Thursday through Easter Sunday. And I just brought it from the Lord. And so the scripture in uh, Philippians 4, um, 6 and 7, um, verse 6, Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So I took that to heart, and I prayed and I fasted. Um, and I just asked the Lord, what are we going to do? And it was during that time, that the Lord spoke to me, spoke very, very clearly, and it was the day I won't forget. It was very odd. Um, I was in the hardware store. The hardware store here. I was in the hardware store, and I don't know why the Lord chooses to speak when He does. I was there to start to buy something, and boom, the Holy Spirit came to me, and and then verse seven here, the peace that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I was just filled with a peace that there was no understanding for. It was the Holy Spirit, it was God who came and said, it's okay. And so the anxiety, the wonder what will happen between our relationship with going into the church, all of it, I, I just knew everything was going to be okay. And the Lord very clearly spoke to me.
from the beginning, from the very beginning of our relationship, Frank and I, he has always been the spiritual leader of our house. He was always the covering, the protective covering, spiritual covering for our house, and that was not going to change. The Lord said, you have trusted him to cover you spiritually, and I want you to continue to trust him. I want you to continue to be under his spiritual guidance, and it's okay. I will protect you. I will lead him. And so I said, okay. It was great. I, I, I was at perfect peace with it. Um, it was wonderful. I didn't understand everything. I knew I had a lot more reading and a lot more um, praying and understanding from the Lord to go on before I could officially leave the cabinet. But I was completely at peace at that moment with me having that. Just totally okay with it. And so I went back to drink. And I mean, so you've got to understand this was just like Holy Thursday, Easter Sunday. He's been wrestling with this for years. Okay. <laughs> 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 I, I fast and pray for Holy Thursday, Easter Sunday. And Easter Sunday after services, him and I just get a break away and we go out to coffee. And I tell him the story. I tell him that the Lord has told me it's okay. And that the children and I will follow. That we will go with him. If he chooses to leave our church tomorrow, we would follow him into the church. So she tells me this, and my first thought is, no, that's that's too easy. Yeah, clearly she's the spiritually sensitive one. Three days fasting prayer, God speaks. Me, five years knocking on my head, and, uh, and I really didn't believe it. I kept bugging her, bugging her for like the next week, well, what if it's this? What if it's next year? What if it's next week? I don't know. She finally snapped at me one day and says, listen, if you take us in the Catholic Church, take us to the Catholic Church tomorrow, we will go. And it was in that moment, and the subsequent days later, that uh, I just was laid bare before the Lord. Laid bare before the Lord. I could not put any excuse on any other person. I couldn't say, Lord, I would, but, you know, the woman you gave me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Adam tried that moment. The Lord brought me to the place saying, Drake, will you follow me to the fullest extent possible? And I remember sitting on my bed, the final, final day, listen to the conversion story. There's some really prominent anti-Catholic apologist in, in the United States. And I listened to the conversion story of his sister that became Catholic. And I thought, dang, if she became Catholic, I am toast. And, uh, and I, I seriously begged God. I, I do not say this in jest. I begged God not to make me Catholic. I said, Lord, anything. I've never refused you anything, Lord. Don't make me be Catholic. When you are not Catholic and you're on the outside, I, it, is, it is very difficult for those on the inside. It's a grace to be in the church and grow up in it, but it's very difficult to really understand how grading the Catholic Church can be. Authority, structure, objective truth. I like individualism, freedom, to find my own truth. I get to tell my church what is true. 
And I realized in the end, it was true. And that the Catholic Church is the most biblical Christian expression on the planet. It is the most logical Christian expression on the planet. And it is the most historical expression of the Christian faith. And with those discoveries for me, I willingly came to life and we came together and made this decision that we would step out of our pastoral ministry and enter the Catholic Church. So the summer of 2004, uh, resigned, left our church, and in uh, that summer I had got invited back to speak at that same summer camp. I got the very vision. So I got invited back, but this time, by this point, we know, okay, we are going to become Catholic. And yeah, so because you're a pastor, you can't tell people, right? Because you lose your job once you say you're becoming Catholic. So, but we're in Utah, we're, we're like states away, you know, we're, we're a long ways away. And uh, so we show up at this camp, check into our room. This guy comes walking around the corner, walks into our room. I, I never had met him before that previous year. I hadn't talked to him all year long. He walks in, first words out of his mouth. So, how's the Queen Mary? <laughs> like, shh, talk to me later. Because uh, I'm at a four-square camp, going to be the featured speaker all week long. And uh, so I tell him the whole thing. And I told him, even in that moment, even though I was convinced of the truth, I said, listen, I'm looking for any reason not to do this. I'm looking for that one document I haven't read that'll clear it all up and say, oh, you don't have to become Catholic. I want it out. But he looked at me and said, I don't have that for you. I've known a lot of Jesus-loving Catholics. You need to go where God's leading you. Like any good Protestant, he gave me some cautions about Mary. You know, don't, don't get too weird with Mary. And... Uh, but we left, we left that place knowing we were going to enter the church, and uh, time doesn't permit telling all the adventures of getting into the church. Um, but suffice it to say, as we entered into the Catholic Church, it answered every single question I ever had about why. Why do we do church? Why do we show up on Sundays? Why do we worship? Why do we have the scriptures? Why is there structure? Why am I ordained? Why is there a pastor? All of these why questions that I was asking over the course of these years, every one of them is so profoundly answered in the church. It is the most biblical, historical, and logical faith, period. And just as we entered Seattle, we had came to Seattle and had three months of money to live on. We resigned our church, took out a cash advance on our credit card, that's how little money we had, and we had three months of money to live on, and I had no job. But God had said, go. And God will never call you somewhere that he will not provide for you. It may be a challenge. It may be difficult. But when he's leading, 
He will provide the way. He allowed us to survive that year. I ended up moving to Steubenville to study. A job opened up as my studies finished. And three years after I resigned my pastor, and let me say this, I didn't meet one real life Catholic the entire five years of study. Not one. It was all via the radio and then just my study and research and document source material. I didn't engage with the church. I didn't come in knowing people and, and, and having connections. The Lord said go. Three years after I resigned, I get hired out of Franciscan University. There is no way for me to master plan that outcome. The only way stuff like that happens is when you submit to the master of all plans. And he deposits me there in a place I can continue to grow and serve and minister, speak at a conference, wonderful Australian sisters come to the conference say, hey, you want to come to Australia? Next thing I know, I'm in Australia, across the world. Uh, there is no shortage of adventures with Christ. No shortage. And the last thing I'll say, um, there's so many last things I'd like to say, but I really do need to make the last things at some point. Is that coming to the Mass, after years of really noisy ministry, Years of, we had a good time at church, we had a hot band, we had some sweet guitar solos, and uh, good music, and, uh, and I did a lot of uh, praise and worship, leading all over the place, traveling around, and, and we loved the Lord, we were faithful, we desired Jesus, but there was a lot, our, our ministry lacked an ultimate focus, and coming into the church, having not only the sacraments of general, but the Eucharist as an ultimate final focus and answered another one of those questions. Why am I here? And I began to understand worship for the first time. Worship is the Mass. And coming into Mass and understanding Jesus said, you're worshiping in spirit and in truth. And watching the Mass Transform me, transform my family. It's something that is very simple, very countercultural, not very trendy. And that's why the church is still here 2,000 years later. It's not subject to whims and trends and style. Thanks be to God. It is the truth of Jesus Christ made present today. And, uh, and the one thing I want to make clear, maybe you've got Protestant friends, maybe some Protestant folks here today, that I want to make clear, I was not running from something. I wasn't like, I can't wait to get out of four square. What I had was pretty decent. It was a pretty decent concept. But I was running to something, specifically Jesus Christ, and the fullness of the faith that got to complete a lot of what I already believed and make it whole. And, but what I know is that the journey is worth it. And I just want to read this up here on the screen. The journey is worth it. But following Jesus Christ requires the cross. 
requires surrender. And if he calls you there, he doesn't call you there just to bring you and leave you and lead you to nothing. It may be difficult, it may be challenging, but if he, when he leads you there, he will give you what you need. This is an old hymn. It says, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Where the whole realm of nature lie, that would be an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. I've no idea where you're at with the Lord, but He wants everything. I'm not a super saint, I'm not super holy. The Lord has done enough in our life to give us peace in some of these challenging situations. I invite you to embrace the cross. Give the Lord your all. It may be difficult, uh, it will be difficult. And not maybe, it's going to be. He bids us to come and die. But in there we find peace, no actually the peace that passes all understanding. And so now our family is joyfully home in the Catholic Church. Uh, our family is blessed. Our family has grown. We've added two more children since we became Catholic because we realized, hey, we don't have to stop. We can have more. And, uh, and we are blessed in every way. Our marriage has been blessed. Friends have been blessed. We've had others follow us that were in our church into the Catholic Church. And, uh, and the Lord keeps teaching us, you cannot outgive God. He'll always give you more than you give to Him. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. Lord, it's only by your grace that any of us go through life. We, I thank you that you do not look at my sin first as a criteria to come to you, Lord, but in the midst of my sin, you find me and draw me to you. Lord, I thank you that you didn't just leave me alone, leave my wife alone, leave my children alone. And even though we knew your son, that you drew us deeper into relationship and into the fullness of faith. I pray for each and every person here, myself included, I need renewed again, that you would draw us deeper into you. I specifically pray, Lord, if there are those who are here with doubt, that they wouldn't be afraid to express the doubt and ask the questions and press on the faith and see that it is in fact firm. For those who are struggling, 
Lord, I pray specifically that you would bring peace to them and reassure in their hearts that you have not called them to this place of difficulty to leave them there to die, but you have called them to this place of difficulty to walk with them through it to greater glory. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would be witnesses to Christ publicly, like the men I heard on the radio. And the only reason I'm here, Lord, is because they publicly witnessed the zealous faith. May we all give cause for others to say yes to Jesus Christ because of the witness of our life in our words and our deeds. Mother Mary, intercede for us. Pray for us. That we would be faithful to the mission of your Son as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. In the name of the Father and of the Son. That was Drake and Crystal McAllister with From Pentecostal Pastor to Catholic Catechist. For more testimonies, visit cradio.org.au.